It was awesome to see the great move of God that did around the world, and especially in our country during beginning in the 40s, when Billy Graham began to simply preach the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he uh, went reluctantly to uh, an evangelistic meeting himself from Mr. Ham, uh, it was it was there where he was skeptical, and yet he found himself being persuaded by the power of the Holy Spirit to respond to the gospel of Jesus. And as he responded and attended those meetings, something profound began to happen in his life. And he, after accepting Christ, realized that there was a call of God that began to move in his life. And he began to move and go to a Bible college in um, uh, Florida and began to study and grow in God and was wrestling with the weakness of who he was and yet the power of God that was wanting to move inside of this new thing that had happened, being born again spiritually. And he went through also a season of a very uh, hard season of being really attacked in his uh, heart and mind whether the Bible was true. And as he wrestled with God and and, uh, sought God, there came a defining moment as he was out in the woods where he really believed and declared that what he had done by receiving Jesus Christ was the most powerful thing that he could do and that the word of God is true. And he began to launch out in his ministry. You know, today we're probably starting this time of uh, really coming into a a remembering of what Jesus Christ did for us in that week of passion, that last seven days of his life. And we're going to go over a lot of different things today, but look at us as as a country. You know, on Memorial Day, we celebrate those who have gone to war and fought so that we could have freedom. On uh, the 11th of November, we remember uh, Veterans Day, those, again, who have died uh, for us in wars for this country. And we have a history. Uh, You know, it was when I was early, in my early days, it was the World War I veterans that were uh, slowly aging and dying off. And uh, as we're coming to the end, the World War II veterans has literally almost all died off. They're in their late 90s, sometimes even 100. We have the Vietnam veterans that are coming up in age, and there's all these groups that stand as a representation of something they did to lay down their life that people could have a a life in freedom. And we're celebrating Jesus and what he did for us to lay down his life that we might have a new life, spiritual life, a promise of eternal life and hope, and someone who beat death, someone that even history that's non-biblical says that this guy somehow beat death. And so... I want us to get excited about this week. And as we quickly go through some of the things that happened during the Passion Week or those last six or seven days of Jesus' life, that something can grip us, that we can appropriate what Jesus did for us today. And as we look at things and feel these things this week, that we're going to have a profound change in our life because of what Jesus did for us. And it is when we accept something, when we remember something that our emotions are affected, our mind is affected, and because of Jesus Christ, our spirit can be, be divinely affected by the things that we're going to talk about. <clears throat> so our key verse for today is, as we remember Jesus, is one of those times when Jesus was uh, giving his, his uh, last supper. Now Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them, his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And we know that phrase, we use it every time we take communion, every time we take that bread and we drink that cup, it's representing that Jesus' body was broken for me because of my sins. And his blood was shed to wipe out every sin I've ever done and ever will do, that I might have this faith in my fellowship with God 
in that he has cleansed and washed me and I can keep walking in righteousness and confess my sin when it happens and keep walking in that fellowship. So there's unbroken fellowship between us and Jesus. And so we remember what Jesus did for us. Jesus was anointed. This is six days prior to the Passover. And I'm reading out of John 12, 1 through 3. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in his honor, and Martha served. While Jesus was among, while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with Jesus, then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. And we know that Judas, uh, the disciple who was going to betray him, was very upset that this um, costly uh, perfume was wasted on Jesus. But Jesus said this in John 12, 7, Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. And Jesus is beginning to proclaim and announce what's going to be happening in the next few days. Jesus tells of his death and, and resurrection. In Matthew 20, 17 through 19, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. He's getting ready to go into that place for his final week. And on the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of God, the Son of Man, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will rise to life. Isn't that something that Jesus is already telling his favorite guys, the ones that have been walking with him for three and a half years, about what's going to happen to him? And you think that that would kind of uh, just solidify in their heart and mind so that it would be a little prepared. But we know that really they didn't uh, catch all this until after it had happened. I would have to say that Jesus last week would be the most painful week that a person could suffer spirit soul and body jesus suffered and i feel like if you will remember as we go through the scriptures and you take your own time to read about the accounts of what jesus did on the last week i feel we can all be profoundly affected if you've had any kind of loss any kind of pain any kind of sorrow anything that's happened in your life maybe things that somehow you skirted to the side if you will allow a process to happen, a grieving process, and a, and a process that will set you up to receive more grace and more forgiveness and more of the power of God, this would be a week to finish off grieving, finish off unforgiveness and anything that's going on that you might press in and have a greater experience in relationship with God and experience more of God's power and His gifts that are going to be released in your life to live that overcoming life that Jesus paid for. Jesus prepares to enter Jerusalem in Matthew 21, Matthew records, As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle, riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them, 
for Jesus to sit on. This was prophesied by in, in Zechariah 9.9. We see Jesus all the way through the Bible fulfilling prophetic words about him. So in doing and fulfilling everything that was prophesied about him, he did something that only God could do. Because if it was just a man trying to fulfill certain things, no man could fulfill everything that was prophesied. The seven last days Jesus' life that changed the world. And these are the things that we're reviewing this week because they have impacted us already by those of us who have been moved on to receive Christ. But I believe there's a full being impacted upon us. Something more is going to be impacted upon us because we're constantly in this process of growth in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is constantly working on us. It says that even though our natural man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed moment by moment, day by day. And that work is what God is doing by His Holy Spirit in us that's confirming that that decision we make to accept Christ is an ongoing, powerful thing that we have as a personal witness that Jesus is Lord and He is alive inside of us. King Jesus comes into Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday. And Matthew records this in 20, Matthew 21, 8 through 9. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of Jesus and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Can you imagine as they begin to shout out those praises, the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit, the atmosphere of the presence of God was manifested among them, the joy that they experienced. They had just come from Bethany, some of them with uh, uh, Jesus and his disciples into Jerusalem, there was a frenzy because just a week before, Lazarus had been raised from the dead. There was something going on that was so had so changed the reality of what they had experienced that this Jesus was doing something miraculous. Jesus stays the night in Bethany. It's Palm Sunday evening. Mark records this. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything but since it was late, already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. It's Monday morning, the fig tree. Mark records this. The next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and in leaf, he went to find out if he had any fruit on it. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. You know, this might seem a little strange to us. Wow, this is a perfect loving Jesus. Why is he cursing this fig tree? This fig tree was always an example of spiritual Israel. And it was an example that the three and a half years he went throughout Israel preaching and teaching the message of the gospel, that they rejected it. That Israel was, were looking for a natural king they weren't looking for a spiritual king. They were looking for the Son of God to change the natural things. And so when he declared and cursed this victory, it was a virtual example to them that they had rejected the message that he was bringing to them, that he was the Son of God. Jesus cleanses the temple. It's Monday. Matthew says this. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. 
And it is those times where God moves into our lives. He moves into our churches, and he does cleansing. He does purging. He does change us. Why? So that he can get us into this place for the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit to flow in among us, and he can do this. And here's some results of what happened after the temple was cleansed. The blind and lame came to Jesus at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Wow, <clears throat> can you imagine that? They were supposed to be representing the power of God. They were supposed to be healing some things happening in the temple, and it wasn't happening. So Jesus comes on the scene and actually does what the work of God is supposed to do in the house, and they were upset with him. Jesus begins to feel what's coming. The heaviness starts coming over Jesus. In John 12, 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this reason I came to this hour. I believe this week there's a time for us, and even today, that we would let our soul be troubled. Be troubled about things that we know God wants us to change, places that we would realign ourselves in relationship with God as followers and disciples of Him, that He might do that work He wants to do in us so that we would experience a greater fruitfulness in our spiritual life that will overflow into our natural life. I believe God wants to do something to change our way of thinking, to change the way our soul and our emotions are, and to help us rise up like we've never risen up before. I believe this time in 2019 of celebrating the resurrection time of Jesus, I believe it spiritually can launch something new in what we want God to do. We have been praying for a new move of God. We've been praying for a fresh revival where there's such a hunger. And, and just watching those Billy Graham crusades and watching the hundreds and hundreds of people that were touched when he began to preach the message and to see the brokenness come over people and to see the tears coming down their faces, they got up out of their seats and they went forward to accept Jesus Christ. That is a powerful thing when you feel the God move on you by his spirit and you just have to accept Jesus. I remember as a nine-year-old kid that got up in a service and felt motivated. I felt Jesus was saying, it's time for me to accept him and bring him into my life, that that began a change in my life that's still ongoing. Jesus tells of the end times. It seems like in this time, Jesus began to speak like never before. It was almost like uh, this. he knew he was, had such a short time left on earth, he began to teach on so many things in this week. He began to take people into the mountain and speak messages, speak profound last truths. He began to get around his disciples and he poured into them truths about who he was and who God was. He began to reel, uh, reveal to them the love of God and the relationship he had with God and how he was going back to God and how the Holy Spirit was going to be sent down and be with them. And there was just this excitement about what Jesus was saying. He was called a great teacher and a great prophet. And he began to unfold uh, to them on the Mount of Olives the prophetic times of what was going to happen at the end. And even to tell them what was going to happen because someday he was going to return to earth to take all his children home and to change this world once and for all. So as Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great things? replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. And Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? 
You can check out this week, read Mark, starting in chapter 13, Luke uh, in chapter 19, and you can see how these writers unfold some of those last day messages uh, that Jesus revealed during that week before he died. The plot to kill Jesus. This is Tuesday afternoon. In Matthew 26, the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the place of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly. Jesus agrees to betray Jesus. In Matthew 26, one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests, and he asked, what you are willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over. The Last Supper meal. This is an interesting time as you read this account. This is in John 13. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. <clears throat> Jesus loved them to the end. <clears throat> and yet Jesus still knew Judas was going to betray him and that all the rest of the 11 were going to leave him. I was thinking about my father. My father on the last day of um, March in the year he died was his anniversary. I think it was going to be his 40-something anniversary, and he had this massive stroke. And over the next uh, eight weeks that he lived, moving from, from Kaiser and then eventually ending up in the Veterans Hospital, <clears throat> I remember the, the, the last day that he was semi-conscious. The stroke had messed him up in such a way it, it would seem like he's going to <clears throat> connect with you and talk, and then he would just totally, there was nothing. But there was something unusual happened that last day, that Thursday before he died. And something came over her, I think it was the Spirit of God, because he began to pull each one of us to himself, and he put his arms around us, and he would just cry tears. And there was this exchange in our emotions, in our heart, from love from our Father, from him to us, and us back to him. That's what's beginning to happen <clears throat> with Jesus and his disciples. <clears throat> There's this expression of love to these guys who had walked with him. This love that is so intimate and only they could probably really understand it because how they walked with him for those three and a half years and they had given up everything to follow him. <clears throat> Excuse me. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and he was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. You know what I felt like today? I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, he began to wash their feet. And it's what the process that they were going through and the process we go through. When we accept Jesus, he begins to wash our feet. And that simply means he begins to wash away the pathway we've been on. The things that we had endeavored to do or go after that weren't the best for us, that wouldn't lead us into a relationship with God or lead us into eternal life or would lead us into a greater life that God has for us because we have him first and we're letting him guide us. And so he begins to wash their feet. When we accept Jesus, we go through different seasons. Sometimes we wonder, what do you do in our life? But I tell you, Jesus begins to wash our feet. He begins to adjust the path that he wants to put us on 
because he has a greater purpose and a greater fulfillment for our life, greater than anything you could attain on your own. And you'll only know that once you surrender to Jesus and say, okay, I don't understand it. I'm a little scared to follow you, but come in. Begin to wash my feet too. So he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Here's Mark's account <clears throat> in Mark 14. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. I love how John goes on. If you were to read this week, John 14, he begins to tell them because, you know, he's already telling them he's going to die and this is it. But he tells them, I'm going to go and I'm going to prepare a place for you. He begins to extend uh, knowledge about the hereafter that they did not know. He begins to tell them that there are places in heaven that there's going to be a different reality that's going to happen once you die. Begins to tell them of that love of the Father. And I'm sure by now they are feeling this immense love with Jesus. It's a heavy time because Jesus is feeling the sorrow of what's going on. He's feeling the sorrow of his separation that's going to be even from them. But there's just such this emotional outpouring of connection that's going on with these guys. And this experience of that deep intimacy that God wants to draw all of us into. And sometimes it's not happening as fast as we want to. But anybody who started this journey with Jesus is realizing it does get deeper. And sometimes the hardest seasons we go through, the driest seasons that we endure, lead us into the greatest, deeper experiences in our relationship with God. In Mark 14, when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. You know, we try to have songs that really touch us in worship and you know all of us have different experiences in our worship but there's just something about the power of music and especially spiritual music worship music when you're singing about the lord there's something that happens when your heart gets gripped and something breaks open and your emotions begin to flow in worship to god can you imagine as they sang that song as they were going out to that garden gethsemane it's late Thursday evening, Mark 14. Jesus and his disciples went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He said to them, stay here and keep watch. He didn't want to die. He was at the, the flower of his youth. There was something natural in him as, just as there was something spiritual in his life. He took on all of humanity, but he was all of God at the same time. So he had those human emotions. He knew what he was going to have to go through. He knew the suffering in his soul. He knew the suffering that was going to happen in his body. He knew the agony that was going to go on in his spirit that he would have to be separated from God because of the weight of all of our sins that would be upon him. Every sin that you've ever done, every horrendous thing that was ever put on you by the enemy to tempt you to do something was put on him. Why? 
so that we could be brought close to him, so we might experience that love of a father, that love of a savior, and to know from now on, from the moment we accept him, that we will never be alone, and we will spend eternity with a loving God, a God who cares. Going a little further, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if it is possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not I want, not for what I want, but what you will. Can you imagine what would happen? What would have happened if God would have said, I hear your prayer, your prayer, son. I hear that prayer. I won't let you go through this. Where would we be today? Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. And Simon, he said to Peter, are you sleeping? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and he prayed the same thing. Isn't it something Jesus repeated his prayers? I think in those moments where we're really interceding about something, we ask God for something more than once. When he came back again, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. <clears throat> Over against the story of the Garden of Eden, where the first man, Adam, fell, we may place in our thoughts the story of the Garden of Gethsemane, where the second Adam, Jesus Christ, triumphed. Jesus' arrest and betrayal, Thursday night. Maybe at this time you might today be praying, Lord, there's times where I betrayed you. I betrayed you in my thoughts, my attitudes, my heart, because I haven't understood you. We've all betrayed Jesus at different times. But Jesus went to the cross, even for those sins of unbelief and doubt, those places where we got disillusioned or discouraged and walked away. Just as Jesus was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared with him with a crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the, is the man. Arrest him. Lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The man seized Jesus and arrested him. It's interesting that it's, if you read through the Gospels, Judas always addressed Jesus as teacher, never as Lord. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, Jesus said, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you, teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him. I can only imagine what Jesus was feeling now. It was official. Even his close disciples had left him. Jesus is now going to stand trial with the Sanhedrin. A few of the religious leaders, not even all of them, are assembling at night, doing the dark work of the enemy at night. A mock trial of justice is supposed to happen. Just a sham. John records this. The soldiers and Judas officials brought him to Ananias, who was father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. 
Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews' leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. In John 18, 15 through 17, we know that Peter denies Jesus. In John 18, 20 through 23, Jesus says, I have spoken openly to the world. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus had said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why do you strike me? Again, we see our Jesus being abused, being slapped, being disrespected. Just like times where we've disrespected the Lord, Jesus took our sins in those slaps. He took our rejection, our doubts, our fears. John 18, 24, Then Ananias sent Jesus bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Jesus suffers something that he should not suffer at the hands of religious leaders. Jesus is abused in the presence of the high priest. Physical suffering is, again, put upon him. Mark 14, 65. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him. They struck him with their fists and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. It's okay to be moved that Jesus was mistreated because he's our Lord, he's our Savior. He's the one that rescued us from our sins. It's good to have emotions, to identify in true remembrance of what someone so great did for us. Jesus before Pilate. It's Friday at daybreak. Mark records this. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. Man, it just shows they were connected with God. So they bound Jesus and led him away and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. You have said so, Jesus replied. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. It's Friday morning. Jesus is to be crucified. Mark says this. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner whom the people requested. A man called Barabbas was in prison for insurrections and who also committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews, asked Pilate, knowing it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to them. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. 
But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. And he said, and he had Jesus flogged and handed over to, the cru- to be crucified. The chief priests, the religious leaders, the keepers of God's people and the truth had just beaten and disrespected Jesus. Now Pilate is having Jesus beaten. Most of you have heard that they only would lash a person not 39 times because usually if a person was lashed 40 times, they would die from the beating. But Jesus has already been beaten and abused, and now he gets lashed with 39 lashes. Mark 15, the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him. They twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. So now he has that thorn sticking into his scalp and causing him more exceedingly harsh pain. They all began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff, and they spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes on him. Then they led him out to crucify him. Isaiah prophesied a long time before Jesus was fulfilling this. Isaiah 52, 14, Isaiah said, Just as there are many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of a human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus did that for us so that we could have forgiveness of sins and an incredible relationship with God that we have no excuse not to press in to have a relationship with God, our Father, because Jesus made the way so clear for us. We have no excuse. We have no thought that can keep us back from rushing into the presence of God, no matter what goes on, no matter what we feel, no matter what attack comes against our faith. Jesus made the way possible for us. Can you imagine going through so much that you couldn't even recognize him as a human being? Isaiah says this in Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by mankind. It is a love that we can't understand that, that God would allow himself to go through this. It says God became flesh. God became human. He had created us and he became un- put himself underneath us to, to suffer all that he suffered. That is a love we, we are probably all our lives as Christians trying to understand, trying to receive, to know that God loves us that much? As Christians, we do one thing wrong, and we want to separate from God because we feel, I'm not being a Christian. I, I shouldn't be like this. And yet we are invited to keep coming, keep letting him restore and change and forgive us of our sins and work on us. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised 
and we held him in low esteem. Do you ever hide your face from God? Do you ever feel so bad about yourself or feel guilty or feel like you haven't read your Bible enough or gone to church enough or the list goes on and on? We don't have to hide our faces anymore. Jesus took our separation on himself. Isaiah 53, 4-6 Surely he took our pain. What pain are you carrying? What pain is lingering? Maybe there's something you're trying to get over, something you've forgiven that just doesn't go away. It's somehow stuck in your emotions, and so it feels like it's always separating you. It says he took our pain. Our pain. He bore our suffering. Are you being tormented? Or has the enemy got you in a, a continual suffering in your mind, your will, your emotions, in some kind of a mental condition or disorder, something that you, you can't change? Jesus took that which would try to separate you and me on himself. It says, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We, all like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. There's a place that we have during this season of celebrating Jesus' resurrection, of remembering his sufferings for us, that we might have a greater ability to use our own thinking and protect our own hearts from the condemnation from the enemy, from the guilt, from the self-awareness of our unholiness or uh, unrighteousness to combat with those thoughts and feelings with what the Word says about who we are in Christ and to live in joy and victory in Jesus Christ. So Isaiah calls us to remember that all these things were done. When all the iniquity was laid on Jesus you know what iniquity is? It's our tendencies to sin, our sin bents. Those things that we so automatically do and we go, and we could be right in the middle and we're wondering, why are we doing it? Those are our iniquities. Those are our bents to sin. They were all laid on Jesus. And because they were laid on Jesus, there is an ability to come out of those things. And some things are going to wrestle with, be wrestled with a little longer than others, but in Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, we will break through of every sinful stronghold that separates us from God and from walking and using the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. Our final verse is Mark fifteen twenty one. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in the country, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross.